Hello and welcome to the Collecting Heroes podcast. I'm your host JD, the collector of collectors, and this is the podcast where I interview pop culture collectors from around the world. And before I actually get into today's guest, I wanted to sort of give a thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast so far. This is episode one of season two, and uh, season one has gone great. I've been watching the followers go up on Spotify and Apple, so thank you to everyone. You know who you are if you're coming back and listening again. And for anyone new to the podcast, welcome, and I hope you enjoy this day. hope you enjoy listening to the episode, and we'll uh, go back and listen to a few of those other interviews as well. The other thing I'd like to ask everyone, if they can, is to actually go in and on whatever podcast platform you're on, give it a like and a review because all that stuff will help me to, to rank as one of the best collecting podcasts, which is what I'd like to do. I'd like to be the one podcast to rule them all um, and in the fandom bind them. And with that, I think that's a pretty decent segue to my next guest, who his name is Brian from Seattle, is a Tolkien collector. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. Can you hear me? I can, I can. Um, Nice. Yeah, so as I said, thank you for joining me really keen to talk to you uh we've got rings of power actually is um is about to drop i think oh yeah after after we record this um, we got about 30 days i'm yeah yeah very so, very excited so it'll actually come out not long after this episode actually goes live um and w- we might talk about that a little bit bit later because i'm excited to watch that tv show uh, <laughs> yeah. but you know one of the things i I was talking to you about beforehand is that, you know, I go through and I find all these different collectors to have on the show. And one of those ways that I find collectors is through looking through the types of fandom that I was a fan of growing up or that I'm familiar with. And eventually I'll be branching out from those to other fandoms as well. But Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, I think, I don't think there's a person who listens to the podcast who won't have some sort of familiarity with him. This is the same question i ask everyone up front tell me a little bit about how you came to be a tolkien fan or lord of the rings um hobbit all, all of those and uh how did you become to be a fan and, and become to be a collector yeah yeah no uh thanks for one having me on the show um and i'm very excited to be here uh and to share my fandom with you and for all your listeners so how it all started out was um back in middle school I, I remember this like it was yesterday um my parents we'd always watch movies over the weekend sometimes on weekdays and they said hey brian um you know let's go for another movie night we heard that this lord of rings movie is up and there's a lot of buzz about it at that time there wasn't any um internet or phone it was through word of mouth and the newspapers and yeah and so i'm like okay let, let's let's check it out and then I was that kid who sat in the movie theaters and after three and a half hours I was completely mind blown <laughs> I was a fandom of like um the never-ending story I kind of like these epic battles I've always liked Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles so I, I I love anything that's like uh battle centric and i also like something that was epic and i remember remember even watching the hobbit as a cartoon but i didn't know what cartoon it was i think i caught it in the middle where i just yeah. remember there was a dragon and then there was an arrow that shot towards the scale and i thought it was the most epic thing i even watched like conan and those things growing up so when i watched lord of the rings i felt like it was just a combination of 
everything I loved like into one movie and I walked out and I was just like, wow. And disappointed that it just ended. Cause you know, at the end of the first movie, Frodo and Sam just looks onto Mordor and they're like, okay, we're going to go on this journey with Gollum and, and, and directed by Peter Jackson. I was like, what happens next? Is this it? And then having to walk out, you know, and like, what's going on? Why are we leaving now? I, I need a pee so bad. I've been sitting there for three and a half hours. Like, and so I can hear the crowd saying, oh, there's, I can't wait for part two and part three. And I was like, oh, there's a part two. Because usually movies, they weren't a trilogy back then, right? Um, That's 20 right. plus years ago, it was just one you know, movie, uh, beginning to end. Of course, you had a trilogy, but within that movie, the story completed itself. That, it was just like a cliffhanger, so it drove me crazy. So that's how my passion started. And basically, I've I've been hooked for 20-plus years, and I'm basically just a grown kid, you know, still liking Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Even at, at my age, at 30, 37, you know, I'm still loving Lord of the Rings as if I was, like, back in you know my teens so well that's the that's the great thing about tolkien and lord of the rings um you know his writings they have traversed such a long expanse of time like it is you know it, it's top of the fantasy pile like obviously there's a lot of great fantasies out there modern day fantasies like your game of thrones and your harry oh, Potter yeah. and everything as well um and then i think uh, going back to i think homer's the odyssey if you if you want to go really far back in terms of the you know earliest fantasies that those sorts of things that might have actually inspired tolkien as well uh, but it, it's one of those things that he's just been around for so long i actually have some facts here that I, I was listening to a few different podcasts and doing some research before this episode as well. Um, Tolkien passed away in 1973, so almost 50 years ago yep. now that he passed away, which is so crazy to think of that amount of time um, and how much of a fandom he'd built up prior to, to even mm -hmm. that happening. The Hobbit was actually published in September of 1937 as well yep, first. so yeah almost 85 years ago uh -huh. um and originally actually funnily enough that's when i saw that the first publishing of that was only 1500 copies which yeah that's why uh getting a copy of a first edition hobbit is going to cost you an arm a leg a kidney and a house <laughs> imagine so yeah 1500 um 1500 copies and apparently they sold out within a couple of months um you mm -hmm. know he wasn't expecting it to be kind of hit that it was at the time uh but you go from 1500 copies of the hobbit to now 150 million copies of lord of the rings that have been sold worldwide in book form and that's not including you know everyone who's gone out and watched the film and you know purchased yeah. the, uh, the dvds back when when you had physical copies and things so tell me a bit about um your collection uh so how did your collection start? So obviously we know how the fandom started. Mm, was yeah, was yeah. this like, did, did you start collecting things straight away when the movies came out? No, no, it? no. I, 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 um, you know, at that time I was going to college. It was just, it was just um, a fandom that I enjoyed over the movies. I didn't have mm -hmm. any collecting because I had, I have a ton of hobbies. Mm -hmm. um, I was into pets and I was out to, I was into going out with friends. 
So that was just something I just enjoyed on the downtime and I had a lot of downtime. <laughs> and so how it actually all started was um, just several years ago, it was actually fairly recent. So my wife and I um, went on a Europe trip um, and I'm, I'm, I was in London quite often for work every quarter. And there was a time when, okay, um, I would like to bring you, you know, one of my work trips and I can extend that out and we can go Paris. And so we went to Paris and there was a comic book shop there. Walked right in and there was just this entire wall of Lord of the Rings statues, which is from what a workshop. And I have never seen them before. Um, I was yes. never a collector of, of anything, of, of statues. I was always into toys. So let me give you a background. I was always into, I loved toys, like GI Joe toys. I was actually into X-Men. X-Men was like, my my first passion you know those passions that you had as a kid but didn't necessarily carry on yeah to some degree it did but lord of the rings really stuck with me since since experiencing that and actually just it kept growing however like so that kid in me was still there and the, the passion of toys and when i saw the statues it brought like a combination of I love toys. I love figures. I love art with Lord of the Rings. When I saw like the Morgul Lord, when I saw Sauron and I just saw a whole wall of them, I just asked, what is this and where did you get it? And <laughs> when did this come out? And then uh, we had like a whole laundry list of things to do in our, in our itinerary. It was cut short because I was there for like almost two hours. My wife was so furious. <laughs> I'm like, I had to look at each one of them and, and take a picture. Um, and so that's how it, it all started. Well, to know that they existed and it always stuck with me. And then um, when we got back to Seattle, which which I live in, I live in Seattle, Washington, USA, yeah. um, she bought me Comic-Con tickets. So Comic-Con, for those of you who don't know, it's it's a convention for, for, for comic goers, but Comic-Con yeah. has grown to pop culture. It's not about comics anymore. It's about movies and whatnot. Ironically, um, our Comic Con has wet a workshop as one of the vendors there every year. Yes. So they came, and um, when my wife surprised me with a ticket to go to a, a Comic Con, a three day Comic Con, she basically unleashed um, Pandora's box. So you see this, <laughs> my, my collection on Instagram. Um, she credits herself, and I, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is what I started from that one ticket. I went to Comic Con. I saw those same statues that I saw in Paris and I was like, okay, now I know you exist. Hi, my name is Brian. And to find out, do you sell this? Yes, it's available. Cause at that time they were, they weren't selling it. It was just yeah. for a display. And yeah. the idea of spending 200 to $300 on a statue was just I, unfathomable. Like I can't, I can't even come to grips with that of spending that amount of money on a collectible. I think even $50 for a toy was just crazy expensive. Mm -hmm. But I think over time, um, you know, $50 has, has definitely become <laughs> quite accessible, especially for, it's not accessible. I'm just saying that it's, it's not as a bad of an amount as a seasoned collector as myself now. Now um, it's just been growing and growing, visiting comic cons and then I didn't know that there was this community online and I've made so many good friends. And this is the great part of the internet is um, you've, 
you can I connected with a lot of people who have the same passion as I do um, with the passion of art Lord of the Rings and you know toys in a way but stagnant toys with with a little art piece and then finding out that I'll, there was this whole community and having to find out there is also a, a small community here in in Washington so it just basically just yeah it just fed the fire and fed the flame and I've always wanted a man cave nice. and so instead of having like a sports man cave it became my Lord of the Rings man cave and I couldn't be happier and I'm very blessed yeah. so yeah i mean it, it, well i i saw one of the nicknames i think you gave it to was your hobbit hole right yeah <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely it's um you know sometimes when, when when life gets gets tough or stressful with work i always come here and this is my solitude you know and um it's a collection that i'm also very proud of but yet also means a lot to me and i've become i've become attached to uh, these characters and I and how I've transitioned, you know, all of these things is sometimes I've sold some, sometimes I've you know I've kept some and I traded some, but it was all of the the headwind of can I let a piece go? Yeah, and you know there there was you know when I started collecting, I collected one six scale from from Weta because for me Weta they are the Valar Valar like the the you know of course yeah yeah for, for your users they are above everybody else second to eru which is god um and basically like i've always wanted to own a piece of that magic because what a workshop made you know the lord of the rings the peter yeah. jackson movies and you have yeah, you feel like you have it at home that. yeah so with, with statues comes with space <laughs> as you know so <laughs> Yeah, with being selective, I was able to let it go, and and actually, I used the, the movies to to learn life lessons. And I was when I was watching Lord of the Rings, it's like Bilbo had a hard time letting go of the ring, and I yeah. was like, huh, like I shouldn't be so materialistic, and maybe I want to change a few things in my collection. And when I learned to let a few things go, I actually felt a lot better. And then I got like new Weta statues, the tree beard, and all the other stuff and it mm -hmm. just allowed me to just change what i want to but then yet stay within the fandom and then also like grow my connections and from there like i've made local friends who become really close because you know we've traded we've bartered and also we've shared that passion of of collecting and with lord yeah. of the rings so and that's that's one of the things that's one of the reasons i, I... I've mentioned this before um in the podcast but that's one of the reasons i started the podcast is really to be a part of the collecting community, you know, just to get out there and, and, and really get amongst the fandoms and talk to people like yourself and, you know, explore your love of these different things and the passions behind them. Because, you know, I'm a collector myself. You can see behind me all my Batman things. They're like, well, this, <laughs> this, is, this is only a portion of the Batcave um, that you see behind me. But yeah, yeah really like, cool. we've, we've all got those different passions. We've all got those different things that drive us. We've all got the real different reasons that we got into, you know, to loving these things, but the way everyone collects is a little bit different as well, you know, especially because of different types of collections. And going back to the mm -hmm. Weta Workshop, exactly what you were saying, they are the company that was involved in doing a lot of the prop design and oh, yeah. for, the, for the movies. So, of course, they should have the best, you know, more most accurate to movie, um, you know, statues and, 
and I know they do also because I mentioned this to you before we started recording as well. My best friend is a Lord of the Rings collector, and he has a massive Weta. Oh, nice. Um, and he sort of started off a lot with not just the statues, the smaller statues like you were talking about, and occasional larger ones, but he started with a lot of the uh, the weapon props. They had like little recreations of the helmets. There was a whole series of those that came out years, years and years ago. And I know he collected all those and, and then just all these pieces. Um, and I won't talk too much about his collection because hopefully one day I may even have him on the podcast, although he doesn't really have oh, a nice. media presence for his collection. That's not the type of collector he is did it just because of his own passion. But he was the one that really sort of helped to drive my passion for Lord of the Rings as well. Um, but going back to the family thing, and I can completely identify that with you here, you're talking about your parents taking you to see the movies. My mother was a big Tolkien fan growing up. So oh, nice. she, read a lot, she read all the books when she was young. And when she heard the movies were coming out, she was super excited and she actually made it. Here in Australia, those movies were released on Boxing Day, the day after Christmas. Um, oh, yeah. And so it became a family tradition that she took us all out to the movies on the day after Christmas Aww. to see the Lord of the Rings movies in those three years that they came out one after another. Man, that is perfect. So you're like, you got your gifts, you're full from Christmas, and you're going to go see Lord of the Rings on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> There's so, nothing like the experience of watching Lord of the Rings on a big screen. Man, yeah. Ex exactly. Experience. Exactly. And I remember, I remember, um, you know, going to those movies and just being in awe of them. I hadn't read the books. I still haven't. I admittedly, mm. I, I haven't read the books and it's on my bucket list things to do is to read all of it. But I know that there's such a commitment to reading the books. Oh, you know, and, oh yeah, and yeah. Tolkien is the sort of person who describes every blade of grass and everything, you know, he's very... Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'll show you with you my experience with... with um, you know, just to add on to how I found Tolkien, it's just yeah. really from the movies first. I, I didn't know anything about the books. And so when I watched the movies, like when it was all done, then there was this, um, you know, ignorance is bliss. It, like all movies adaptations from books weren't successful once you read the book. So mm -hmm. I was, for many, many years, I was really scared to read the books because will it diminish the movies once I read the books? Mm -hmm. So. I actually read The Hobbit and then The Hobbit came out and then actually I had to really prepare myself like, okay, when you watch The Hobbit, just think of it as like an adaptation. It's okay. There's going to be changes. There were a few cringy moments in The Hobbit, but in the end, like I really liked both. So in a sense, like I got to find Tolkien in two ways through the, the movies mm -hmm. and then reading the books, I just felt like they were two different experiences. And when I, you know, watched the whole Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and read the books again, I basically just got bits of pieces and the visuals from the, the movies and then just plugged them on, on the books as I was reading. And then when I was finally ready to read Lord of the Rings, I was in college, I think, I believe the second year, I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down and, you know, it's going to be different, but it's going to be okay. And once <laughs> I had, once I was mentally ready, I can see the big differences, but I can also see like some of the amazing things that, you know, the Peter Jackson did in his theme. And regardless that some of the differences were there, I really enjoyed both books and both trilogies. 
and I, I still enjoy them today. And I then also found um, my new love was the Silmarillion. Yes. That though that is um, out of all the books, my, the Silmarillion is my favorite. It has the most amazing stories. It was a hard read at first. I had like an Excel sheet open. I had like a family tree open and I had to take <laughs> notes. But in regards to collecting, I'm, I'm really hoping that one day that they will make a Silmarillion themed statues. And if they do, I do not trust myself. It would be like a pre instant pre-order of these epic characters and villains. And one of them is Morgoth. Well, that, that's um, I, that's one of the things I was thinking with Rings of Power, right? Is I thought yeah. that it was going to lend a little bit to the Cimmerillion because going back into yeah, the it, history of the Galadriel and everything, like her when she first got the ring of like because she's got a, one of the three Elvish ring rings, right? I I, I know this because I was reading about her when I rewatched the trilogies again recently. So yeah. well, even though I know Hobbit, the Hobbit is not a trilogy. It was made into a trilogy of movies. But when I went back and watched all those movies again in the last couple of weeks, just like, I was like, okay, well, I've got to read a bit more and get a bit more history on Galadriel now as well. Um, and I remember reading that she had one of the three Elvish rings. Um, yep. and, and, but that was all part of the Cimmerillion. It sort of tells a little bit of that story, isn't it? Like a little bit more about towards well. So towards the end, it's not really like it, it's like the rings of power towards like the um, as you open to the third age, then it talks more about the rings of power coming out of the uh, second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like in the first age, you know, it talks about all the early existence of the Valar and and all these amazing stories that is it has definitely come into light. Um, but then they do mention it in the Lord of the Rings, like, you know, when Aragorn was sitting and he's like singing a song, I, I believe one of the hobbits like, what are you singing? It's the Lay of Luthien, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's talking about like the relationship between elves and men. And there's this amazing story and Beryon and Luthien, like that love story, it's also translated to the book. So uh -huh. one thing about the movies is that it, they made some amazing references to the earlier text. So when I was reading um, the books, and then I watched the movie again. Again, it's like it's the the gift that keeps on giving because uh -huh. despite twenty plus years, you you always learn something new because the the world is so vast and the things that you thought you remembered, you read it again, you're like, oh yeah, I forgot that one detail, <laughs> and and now it, it's just brought this whole fandom of, you know, people on YouTube making these summaries, making it more digestible, and you have all these amazing statues coming from Prime One. So there's a lot of hype about Lord of the Rings, so it's a great time to be a fandom right now. Well, let's go. Let's get back to the collection as well. Um, talking about the statues, so you've got Prime One, you've got Sideshow, you've got a lot of these places that make these amazing um, statues that I, I don't know what we call them one quarter scale in some cases. I mean, Treebeard. Yeah. Treebeard looks huge in the background that I can see like, <laughs> behind you. Yeah. Um, he's probably I'm. I'm guessing maybe about a three foot statue so oh. not one six when you think about how tall he would be as a character yeah what do they describe He's... him as if i were like, to describe no it's it's a one i believe it's a one six scale okay so they, if, yeah it's 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 within that line it's the one six scale uh so so they're they're estimating he was about an 18. it's just 
Okay. Yeah, it's, it's just at one six. He's just huge because Mary and Pip are like right at one six. <laughs> Fair enough. And his his presence is just like very demanding. When I have family and friends who come who come over for the first time, and no little or no of the movies they come in and they're just like that's Treebeard. You know, they're casual fans, but once they see, see Treebeard, they yeah. know who he is. And I've seen the Sauron sideshow. Um, piece as well so i know that i know of that because um my friend who i mentioned has his collection he actually had that sideshow piece and i just know how huge and foreboding oh that that, that, that well. one is nice very yeah. impressive in, in person how when you talk about recycling some of the items and selling things and and, and re-upping what uh is there anything that you've you've gotten rid of that you're like oh i wish i could get that back in my collection now Oh, no, 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 no. Like, um, I, before I sell something or I buy something, I make sure that can I live without it? Can I, you know, am I okay with, to part with this or am I okay if I don't have it? So mm -hmm. it, when I was first collecting, my impulse was collect everything, but yeah. then I saw how unrealistic that is in regards to financial um situations because <laughs> that could definitely add up um and then you have space and then you have your either wife or significant other who will kill you because you have boxes to step <laughs> and clutter she's like what's going on so fortunately i have like this little office to, to keep all my stuff and i'm limited to this um but yeah uh, in regards to how i um maintain my collection i maintain it to whatever i like you know what's important to me and mm -hmm. try not to give into the impulse of oh that's the new shiny toy that's the new statue coming out i've got mm -hmm. to have it sometimes i sleep on something and say do i need do i really need it or does it fit in my collection yeah and does it make me happy um at first I was, it's easy to give into the pressure of, oh man, I want to impress my friends. I want to impress, you know, my friends online. But then <laughs> you find out that collecting is not about you anymore. It's, it's kind of like impressing other people or even your, your significant other. Yeah. And I'm like, huh, I'm going to see this every day and I want to make sure that I don't get tired of it. And so that was like the first few months of like an early advice that you know, I, I heard from somebody online and I, I, I carry that with me because I wanted to just collect everything and yeah, because collecting also comes with envy, right? Let's just put that out there because when you see, you know, other collections, you become envious too. And sometimes you go out of your way mm -hmm. to want to, to get, get that piece, but then it, it may come out of financial costs or it may come out of emotional costs. But then I, I was able to navigate to that and just have the collection that I want, what makes me happy. And sometimes you, you, you don't even know what you want until you have it. Like it looks great on the video or picture, but when you get it, it's like, it's not so great, but there's a lot of cases where it didn't look so good. And then when you see it in person, you're just like, wow. <laughs> um, and, and that was some of the benefits of, of seeing Weta at the comic cons, because I got to see the statues in person and make a decisive uh, decision or, or a more educated decision on whether I should get it or not. And I was like, oh, I was, I'm, I'm glad I didn't get it or, oh, I'm glad I actually did. Yeah. Well, the FOMO, I think for most collectors, we, we all know, oh, yeah. know very real <laughs> yeah. when it comes to certain things. Is there a certain grail item 
that you still occasionally FOMO out like over or maybe not even a, a FOMO as, as such, but just a grail item that you're thinking this is the one item I would love to have as a centerpiece of my collection or even just a small item that you would just have, love to add that, that you haven't gotten to before or that you've seen and you're like, I don't, I don't even know where I'd find that. The one thing that comes into mind is the Ring Wraith from Sideshow. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the one that's like holding the, the blade, um, the Morgul um, blade on one side. And yeah, it's it's a, a statue I've always wanted. It was the Sideshow Weta collaboration. Was that last um, year? It just came out last year or something? No, 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 no. It came out like um, several years ago. That was the early adoption of, of the Sideshow and Weta. Uh, I felt like I, I saw a really cool Ring Wraith statue that came out last year. Oh, oh, that that was a 1 6 um, standing statue and he has the swords standing up. Yes. Um, the one I'm talking about has like a flowing cape to its left or right. I forgot. I totally forgot the name of the statue, but um, it's really expensive right now. It's in like the thousand dollars, and um, it's one of those statues that has eluded me. But I don't have space for it right now, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so sometimes you know you earmark funds for certain pre-orders. Yeah, and th there hasn't been a scenario where I have earmarked. I have available finances to 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 get that statue at, at an affordable price. But luckily, it, it seems like there's a lot of people liquidating their statues because of some um, unfortunate events, life changes, or people are, there's a lot of options right now in the market, especially nice. things coming out from Prime One, Iron Studios, and all the other um, statue, ma uh, statue manufacturers. So there's there's other options other than Weta. So sometimes they've had the collection for a while yeah. and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm willing to change up too. And that's, that's the great part of, of, of collecting is there, there is like an equity to to your to your statues if you, you maintain them and you you kept them healthy and you sell them at a healthy price supply and demand there's that piece and you can take that equity and buy new statues that can change up the, the space and and i can understand that sometimes you're just like oh, i i kind of need a change and i actually recently did that with um smog i've always had smog i bought him during like a Black Friday sale, and I, I looked at the Smog the Terrible, and I told him, I'll never sell this, but I've learned to let things go, and when I saw the new Smog statue from Weta, and I said, I'm not going to collect any more 1-6 scale, um, well, it's not actually 1-6, I'm, I'm not, I think it's a 1 third, 1 30th scale, I'm not sure, but yeah, I sold that, and I sold it to a, a good friend of mine, and um, I pre-ordered that statue. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's uh, he's happy, I'm happy, and it's sitting in 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 um in a good home that will be loved, and I just have to wait for my new smog. So that's well, that's all you whole... can hope for, it, right? Is that it ends up with someone who loves it as much as you did when you when you owned it as well. Um, yeah, and there's and... a piece of the collecting game where where um I'm sure you know it's like when it's almost there, you kind of look outside, like, is the UPS guy there? Or is the delivery <laughs> man coming around? And, and it's, you're like a happy kid when you get that thing, uh, that notification, it's in front of your doorstep. It's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to go back to um, part of the story you told before as well, um, about how you 
sort of came to be a collector with your wife and you spoke about getting the tickets to San Diego Comic-Con. So I know that- uh, um, Emerald City Comic-Con. Oh, Emerald City, was it? Yeah, uh, Seattle, yeah, Emerald City Comic-Con. Oh, okay, sorry. I thought you said San Diego. Um, I was, I was just going to ask whether you've been back to Emerald City Comic-Con, like whether that's something that you go to on a regular basis now, because that's the first year back this year after being shut down because of COVID. So it's the first year. Are you, are you going this year? Um, the world would have to end in order for me to miss a Comic-Con. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so, you know, people collect like um, the um, tri um, triathlon medals, you know. Those yep. Medals. You keep the badges. I like to collect. I keep the badges as Medal of Honor on, on my door. Uh -huh. So I make sure I, I go to every con. The con is it's such an amazing place where you can share your passion with other people. And unfortunately, like Weta hasn't been there because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they'll, they will be there this year. But regardless, I, I always go every year and I always find Lord of the Rings art or, or other genres that I do find interesting. For example, like Marvel or Ninja Turtles or things like I grew up as nostalgia. Yeah. So. And you're also because I, your page is actually called Tolkien Photography. And mm -hmm. you do have uh, links to a couple of other personal pages one of them being photography where you actually on there, I see you do a lot of cosplay photography. Tell me a little bit about yep. photography. That is that part of, is that just a hobby or is that something that you also do as, as, as um, a job as well? No, I, it's something I do as a hobby. I've always liked photography um, growing up. I always loved taking pictures, um, capturing that experience with friends and family. And when I graduated college, my dad asked me, what do I wanted? And I said, camera. So I've always had that passion for taking pictures. Um, but there was a time when I kind of grew out of that because of life and of, you know, things getting the way interest shifted. Um, mm -hmm. But most recently I got back into photography and I've always wanted to take high resolution shots, but I was always intimidated because I felt like it was a skill yeah. that I couldn't achieve, but I've, I, I bought a second hand camera, full frame camera, because there's, there's a difference between full, full frame and cropped where the sensor is bigger and you can capture more images. Both okay. um, camera types can do well. You don't need an, a, a professional camera to take great pictures. Um, but I, I bought a camera that I can grow into and it was the best thing to happen to me because it definitely fed into that interest of taking um, landscape, portrait photography. And then when I go to Comic-Con, I noticed that people were taking pictures and I took a few shots of some cosplayers and I was like, wow, um, I think I can turn this hobby into something that I can grow and develop. And so as I continue to go to more cons, I took more pictures of, of, of more cosplayers and really grow that tool and that skill through YouTube University and just mm -hmm. experience with um, growing your network and finding other photographers out there and just doing it yourself and just learning as you go. Some of the best people, you know, like in terms of, you know, skill sets, when you, whether you talk about musicians or artists and photography being an art, um, you know, a lot of them just learned through experience, right? And it is getting yeah. in amongst it and doing it. Now you have different types of photography that you do um, in regards to the cosplay and, and 
everything and also at home taking photos of the statues and your items there and then i even see that your other page is a food page where you're taking photos so i'm sure every type of photo has a different style and and a different skill that you're learning through those different experiences do you find that the inside or the outside photography is easier um i feel like they both have their sets of challenges i think inside photography is a little harder because sometimes you don't have adequate light mm-hmm. so um i think that's where the big challenges is at outside photography is great because you have an abundance of light and especially like places like um seattle where it's a bit gloomy mm-hmm. um you don't have as much light as maybe like australia i think it's always sunny there um california it's always a sunny place london I, that, that place is always gloomy so yeah it really depends the, the amount of light and what what style of, of photography you're trying to take um with statue photography um that is something i transition over into when, when i'm looking at a statue i have a vision and then it just clicked like what if i just take this picture this way mm-hmm. and what if i put the light that way and then what if i um move him at this angle and I instead of taking the photos from an eye level I you know get that on my back and I take the photo in in that view so when I look at statues and I, and I try to marry with photography I, I try to bring something new and something that I think will be cool and creative and when I started my um and as you talked about I have the food photography that I have the cosplay, I I said, huh, maybe if I start a Lord of the Rings one, you know, I'll just put it out there and heck, I don't care if anybody likes it or not. I'll just <laughs> give it a give it a try and put it out there and, and if people like it, people like it. People don't, people don't. And so And here we um, are talking about it today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, that's how I found you. Yeah, quite surprised. Um in the end of the day, it's 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 what I really really like and it's what i'm really passionate about so when you see my photos on lord of the rings it's it's really like what i envision and i take the time to have a certain angle and if there's a certain shot i um would want to get i take multiple shots for different angles and different light sources and i'm always learning i've only been in using this um full frame camera for about three and a half years Mm -hmm. so as I continue to mature in this hobby, the photos that I took last year was, and, and I could edit the, the photos color grade. So basically like, it's not necessarily like photo, when people say Photoshop, you know, they think that, oh, I'm getting, there's a misconception of, oh, I'm making the ears bigger or the waist smaller. That's called Photoshopping. But yeah. when you talk about like color grading, you're just basically like, changing the colors in the room it's currently present in the photo Mm -hmm. but then you're bringing out the blacks the whites and controlling like the reds blues and greens yeah yeah and that 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 gives the different styles of the photos when you see um on instagram you have like a different mood that feel and there's some really good photographers out there who who really bring like a moody feel especially to like book photography i never knew book photography was a thing until i started sharing my photos i was like wow people take amazing photos of Lord of the Ring, rings books so i'm also inspired by other photographers and other artists out there too and again you don't need like a professional camera to take amazing photos i know people who take photos from their iphone 
Yeah, and and they just basically. Um, That's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. C- capture light and just just once you share something that you're passionate about and and that's shown in your photos, I think people will enjoy that. Perfect. Look, Brian, I've um I've loved chatting to you today. In the interest of not having a three-hour podcast and <laughs> talk forever, um, I, I'm gonna have to wrap things up. But I think you know we've finished talking about your photography and about talking photography. Can you tell people where to find you? Uh, plug your socials so that people can actually go and have a look at those photos as well. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. It's called Tolkien underscore photography. And um, yeah, I'd love if you come and just check out and like my photos. Reach out to me if you're a big Tolkien fan and we can both nerd out together. Excellent. Excellent. Brian, I really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you very much for speaking to me today. And uh, I hope, you know, the Ring of Power ends up being a great show. And, uh, and Me too. Me too. But maybe message each other later and, and see <laughs> exchange thoughts on the show as well. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited yet anxious and uh, like nerve wracked at the same time. But nonetheless, like new Middle Earth, Earth material, I'm always up for. So any Perfect. chance to visit Middle Earth again, I'm always for that. So Perfect. thank well, you for having me on the show. And yes. it's been a pleasure to, to, to talk with you and to share my experiences with you. And thank you again. I've really enjoyed speaking to you as well. Have a great day. See you, bud. If you liked the episode, please consider following or subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also join me on Instagram at Collecting Heroes, where you can see photos of the collections of the people that I'm talking to, as well as some of my own.